0: our weekly perceptions. So in today's daily uh, podcast, In My Car, which is where I currently am at the moment, uh, I thought I would uh, give you guys a chance to uh, relive one of my uh, recent talks where I tell my story and uh, what it is that I do and why I actually do it. So uh, without further ado, here's me talking at um, a business meeting over in First things first, I've asked the question already, but who here has already used video for the business? I know obviously Andras has. Uh, Lynn has done Facebook Live. You've used Facebook Live. You've used video as well. So let me ask you the the question then. How can you be sure that the video brought you business, or did it bring you business? It didn't. It didn't? And do you know why? Uh, What's what's the title of my my, talk? It's my fault. It is your fault that it didn't bring you (laughs) a. Uh, that, that's fairly easy to say because I produced the video I posted the video uh, and so that's, I'm the only one involved absolutely so it's definitely your fault then yeah. um, but that's the main thing to remember is that if you've got video content already for your business and maybe you're doing it on a regular basis and it's not bringing you any business it is probably your fault that it's not actually working for you I'm going to talk a little bit more about that a, bit later, a little bit later on but think about the content that you've been creating and possibly why it might not be working for you I'm going to take you back in time Back to 1998, I was um, an athlete, I was uh, nationally ranked, I was a decathlete, I did track and field, and I was training for the Sydney Olympics in 2000, and that was my main aim, and I was doing pretty well, I was getting some really good results. And it came to a competition one day, and in athletics, you compete for your club, you compete for your region, and you compete internationally. Those are kind of like the three stages. I've been lucky enough to do all three of those. Um, and I was competing for my club, a club called Hull at Harriers, in the Northern Track and Field League. And it was a horrible day. It was nothing compared to today. This is beautiful and glorious and sunny. It was red, wet, and shitty, and windy, and horrible And I'd done the pole vault, and I'd done discus, and I'd done javelin, and I'd done the hurdles. Everything had gone without any hitches, and the final event of the day before the relays was the high jump. And in high jump, and in most track and field events, you can change the length of your spikes depending on what length you are allowed for certain events. And in high jump, you're allowed to go up to six millimeters in length on your spikes. And my high jump spikes have got six in the front and four in the heel, because when you high jump, you plan your heel first. And I decided on that day, even though I'd been walking on concrete and I'd worn them down to a nub, I wasn't going to change my spikes. I just couldn't be arsed, basically. My fault. So it came to the competition, and I did a few jumps, early heights, like 170, 180, nice and easy. Um, I used to jump over two metres. Came to 190, I knew I had to put a little bit more effort into it, and in high jump, there's a lot of stresses and strains to go through the body. You don't realise it, but you run up in a straight line, and then you go into a curve. And as you're curving, because of the speed you're carrying, you actually lean away from the bed. So when you high jump, as I said, you plant your heel first, and then you rock into the, the actual jump. Planted my heel, and because my spikes hadn't been changed, my heel went forward, my knee went one way, my body went the other. Tore my cruciate ligament. Not completely snapped, thankfully, um, to the point of I was in a lot of pain but I could still do the four by 400 meter relay that day for the club so it kind it of been that well it was that bad but I was just stupid and um, so it was really my fault that I didn't change my spikes and it changed the direction of my life a little bit as well because obviously I've been training for two years time and I went to see the physio and he said look you've lost this season it's gone there's you've got no chance of being back this year but you could rehab over the winter and we can see what we can do but you've got two options you can have an operation And we can see what happens, but we can't guarantee it's going to fix it. Or you can rehab, and we can't guarantee it's going to fix it. So either way, I was in a catch-22 situation. I hate knives. I hate hospital. There was no chance in hell I was going underneath the knife. So I'd went for the rehab option. Again, a big mistake. I, I assume because the operation may well have fixed it, the rehab definitely didn't. Got to 1999, middle of the season. There was just no way the next year I was going to be good enough. And I walked away from the sport. Because when you get that close to your dreams, it's kind of a bit of a heartbreaker to, to not really keep pushing forward. So I stepped away from the sport. I was at university at the time. And a few of my friends in my final year I was at to, due to graduate said, "Oh, we're going to do university radio this year. So do you fancy uh, giving it a crack? I was like, well, what the hell? I've got a big gob. I'm northern. Why not? So we, uh, we did the university radio station. And we did the training and all this kind of thing. And the guy who ran the training said, You three have got a great connection because you're all friends. Why not do the weekend breakfast show? So we did. And it was on what's called an RSL. So it's a a temporary licensed radio station. So the license lasts for 30 days. And it was on FM. And we did that. And we got to the end of the 30 days. And I went fuck me, this is easier than having a proper job. So I decided, rather than doing what I was doing at university, which was business information systems, I was going to concentrate on trying to work in radio. And that's exactly what I did. I pushed myself really hard. I worked on another RSLs radio station, doing a breakfast show seven days a week, kept working hard, kept sending my tapes out, and eventually I got a phone call from a radio station called Galaxy 105 who were based in Leeds and they were the network central for the Galaxy network. So Galaxy used to be down here as well, I think, over towards Southampton. They had one in Bristol at the time, they had one in Manchester, one in Newcastle, and they had one in Leeds. And so I was working in Leeds as what's called a tech op technical operator so I was basically the guy who if everything went down on a weekend I'd press the button to start it again that was about as technical as it got to be honest um, I over time I learned a little bit more about the satellite systems and controlling the adverts at the different places so that adverts in Manchester were the same as timings of the adverts in Leeds and so on and so forth after about a year I got poached by my local radio station I used to I come from Hull and the radio station in Hull is called uh, Viking FM. And Viking said to me, we want you to come and present and produce the evening show. (coughs) So there was a guy called Ian Roberts, who really good mate of mine, still a very good friend of mine all these years later. Um, He was based in Manchester, and he would do a show in Preston on Rock FM, drive back from Preston to Manchester, and in an evening sit in his bedroom in his pants, and I'd talk to him down the ISDN line and I'd control everything in the studio and he'd be in Manchester as the main presenter and I'd just chip in now and again with my 10 cents worth. And so I'd be like, shut up Ian, we're going to play a song and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> we uh, doubled the audience within 12 months, which was pretty good going. And uh, we were going for about three or four years and Ian fell ill, really ill. He, um, his heart fell out of sinus rhythm and he had a real problem with his, with his heart. And basically we got to a stage where the radio station said, we just can't keep going, not knowing what's going to happen, so we're going to have to put somebody else into the evening show. So Ian and I were both basically binned off. Not in a nasty way, just it it had to happen. So I was a bit like, shit, what do I do now? Um, I worked for an internet radio station for a little bit. That went bust. That was really good. Um, And so I started working in an athletic shoe shop. I stepped away from media altogether because it was kind of like, well, I've given you all that I've given you to Viking and and, and literally they couldn't find anything for me. So I I just became disillusioned, walked away from media altogether. I was running this athletic shoe shop and I got a call from a TV station saying, can you come and do a sports TV show with us? And it was an SMS based sports TV show. So I was presented with a guy called Steve Jordan and we basically did the news and stuff like that. And then people would text us in with their questions about sport and we'd give them our viewpoint. It was a bit like a debate show, a radio show, but all on SMS and the SMSs would pop up on screen. It went really, really well. And I was like, actually, you know what? I really miss doing this. I really miss actually talking to people and it was my first experience of live TV as well so I had somebody talking in my ear counting me down into adverts while you're trying to talk to the camera really difficult when you first do it um, and I learned loads doing this and so I started sending my tape out again for radio and all that kind of stuff and this radio station uh, called Kick FM in Newbury got in touch and uh, this 01635 number came up on my phone and I went home and said mum where the f-? fuck is Newbury, I had no idea, never even heard of the place, and I'd gone through the white pages to find out what 01635 actually was, because I had no clue, Um, and so I rang them back, and I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll come for an interview, little did I know it was a seven-hour train journey there, and a seven-hour train journey back, for a 15-minute interview, I might add, Um, and on the way back, I got a text message from the radio station saying, we'd like to invite you for a two-week trial, so literally a couple of weeks later I left the athletic shoe shop that I'd been running and I came down south and within 24 hours they'd offered me the job I did one show and they said no we we just want you full-time and that was that so I was at kick FM and um, I was there for about 12 months and my audience was doing all right and stuff and basically they'd been me off after 12 months because I was doing okay because I was doing quite well um, and that didn't go down particularly well with the person who I was doing better than, because mm-hmm. he was the boss. So I moved on from uh, Kick FM, well I was binned off from Kick FM, uh, but I'd been working for um, a company who provide in-store uh, media solutions and they were doing in-store radio stations. And so I'd been doing some stuff for them for Dixon's FM, which is, uh, you remember Dixon's on the high street? Yeah, so it was an in-store radio station. I was doing stuff for them. I was doing stuff for HSBC and Lloyd's Pharmacy and people like that, excuse me. And um, I rang up my mate who'd given me the first gig there and said, look, I've just been binned off. I'm absolutely screwed unless you can give me some extra work because I don't know what to do, whether I go back up north or do I stay down here? And he said, look, got two options. I can give you a load of work. And also in a couple of weeks, the head of production's gonna be back from his holiday and they need another producer. So he gave me enough work to see me through for two weeks, which was brilliant, really good of him. And I thank him forevermore for that because I wouldn't be down south if it wasn't for that. And then um, the head of production came back and he offered me the production job, the producer's job uh, working in the department. So I had a, a full-time job again, more money, which was even better, and it was a better environment. It was a nicer place to work. So that was really cool. And so I was there for quite some time. Uh, so. When Steve moved on to a different job, I became the head of production. So I was the head of production there. I looked after some of the services as well. So I was what they call a channel manager, but I was a program controller in radio. So you look after the presenters, you make sure the radio station's working right, the music's working right and all that kind of thing. So I ran st- services for game, I ran services for Ikea, Burberry, Topshop, Topman, um, all these different types of services. I then was moved on to being the head of, head of music. So I decided the music that went on all the services. Um, And I did a bunch of other stuff and and jobs there as well. Um, I left after about 10 years. And again, it's probably my fault that I stayed in the job for such a long time. It It was more a golden handcuff than anything else. Um, But most people say, well, why did you leave? It's a great job, and who can complain about playing music and talking in between songs for a living? I said, you try smacking your head against a brick wall for 10 years, it might eventually start to hurt. And and it it really did, because it wasn't an opportunity to be creative all the time. Um, And that's what I thrive on, is that opportunity to be creative for people and actually make great adverts or or talk talk creatively to to other people. So after 10 years, I left and um, I'd, been, I'd already started Perception Studios with a friend of mine, and we'd been going for a couple of years, bumbling along, doing bits and pieces, and I said, I want to make a go of this. He said, well, I want to concentrate on what I'm doing. He was a voiceover. He still is a voiceover. So we kind of went our separate ways, and I took the business on, on my own. <coughs> Now, remembering, I'd worked with Ingvar Klampjad at IKEA. I'd worked with Christopher Bailey and most of the head of music department and marketing in Burberry. I'd worked with um, Topshop and Topman, so like Philip Green and all those kind of... So I'd worked with some big bods who knew what the hell they were talking about. And I put absolutely fuck all of what they taught me into my own business, Mm -hmm. which is the stupidest thing in the world. I spent the first two years bimbling along kind of making money here and there, uh, doing videos for some pretty cool stuff. I was still doing videos for Mountain Dew, and I was still doing uh, content for uh, Bednest, which is a big uh, baby brand, and I, I was doing stuff for local businesses. So I was making videos, but I wasn't really getting a lot of work out of it. I wasn't being successful. And last year, my, uh, my dad died, and in fact, it was about a year ago now, a year ago next month. And basically, I was like, I don't know what to do. I, I'd gone networking, and about three weeks afterwards and I'd done my pitch and all these people had approached me and my brain just went fuck off because it was just like I just couldn't handle it I just could not so I stepped away from the business completely for six months didn't go back to networking until October and um, in that time, time frame I was like actually what do I want to concentrate on what do I actually really want to do what is it that I'm good at and I was like well actually if I take what I've learned from these people and implement it into a small business, surely that would work. And so I started implementing it into my own business, and it did work. So things like marketing calendars and just understanding where you're going with your content and what, you, what your plans are for the, for the next 12 months and so on and so forth. I took all those kind of things I'd learned from them and made it work for my business. I was like, well, if it's working for me, it must work for, for other people. But the one thing I'm sick and tired of seeing is businesses trying to charge you for information that is public domain. Why the hell should you pay to find out how to do certain things that you can just do a quick Google search on or go on YouTube? Fuck that. Why? There's no point. So all I'm doing is just saving people the the effort of having to go search. And I'm giving them some information for free because I think it's just so important that you do use things like video and understand what you want to do with your marketing. So I'm going to give you some simple tips. Um, and hopefully, you'll either scribble them down or what have you. And it might help your small business or uh, somebody else's business and just help you build your brand. So, the first thing, as I mentioned, was a, a marketing calendar. <clears throat> you want to look at what is working for your business in marketing over the next 12 months. So, for example, I was working with a life coach and they were quite adamant that actually there wasn't really anything that w- they could tie in their business with. And so, And I didn't mean literally to tie it in with this, but I was saying, well, on January the 5th this year was the day everybody or most, not everybody, most people were applying for a divorce. So because it's the first day, they knew all the solicitors were back from Christmas. So I was like, you could tie into that trend. I'm not saying write a blog about, oh, you're going to get divorced soon. Let's uh, talk about it. But you could write a blog in December about there's a possibility of big life changes coming up in January. Now, that could be divorce, or it could be the fact you're going to set your goals for the next 12 months and know where you're going to go with your business. So you're not literally forcing it down the throat, but you know these kind of things are going to happen. So you can do this for your entire business. You can go through your marketing calendar, go through the year, and set certain points in the year where you go, oh, yeah, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. The other week, I was sat down with um, a, a leadership coach, and she was saying, oh, right, okay, where do we start? And I said, actually, we start tomorrow, because tomorrow's Star Wars Day. And I think a really great blog for you right now is to write something about how the fact that the guy who designed the Death Star didn't realise that there was a weakness in it, so it would blow up. And it, that, why was that? Because Darth Vader was a shit leader. And so she was like, wow, what a great idea. So she wrote a blog about that and got it out the next day. And and it's just simple things like that, just thinking creatively about your business that you can then really tie into things that are happening through the year because those things become search points for people and so on and so forth. Once you've got your blogs, then it becomes really easy because you only really need to create that one piece of content. Because you've written that blog and you've stuck to what we say in radio, one thought per link, so don't start just scatter gunning your approach and going all over the place with your blog. Stick to one thought process. So in radio, there's no way I would come on and go, 96.9 Viking FM, gloriously sunny day today. It's very busy on the M3. By the way, what's black and white and eats like a horse? Oh, it's a zebra. Did you see EastEnders last night? Oh, isn't it very sad about the guy killing himself in Coronation Street? Oh, the royal wedding this week. People just go, what the frig are you talking about and not be able to st- and just tune out? So you stick to one thought per link. You have your tools. So what I suggest to people when they do a Facebook Live, which is the next stage, is you have your pitch, your 40 seconds that you do week in, week out. You have your story, which is your blog, which you've bullet-pointed down into three or four resonating points which are really going to hit home with the people who are going to read your blog, watch your Facebook Live. And then you move into your call to action, but you don't sell. You only ever give value. If you sell on social media, fucking stop now because you do not sell, only give value, because people hate being sold out, if you walk into a shop, and the first thing you do, you take a step into the shop, and they're literally on top of you go, can I help you, and you're like, yeah, thanks very much, I'm just looking, and you're out of the shop within the next 30 or 40 seconds, because you don't want that, you don't want, now I was arguing about this with somebody the other day, and he was going, no, no, that's not, how do you suggest that they approach them, I said, well, I said, number one, they don't approach them, and number two, they just acknowledge them, just go, afternoon, and then crack on with what they're doing so the person knows you've acknowledged them but they know you're not trying to just force a sale down their throat and that's how you should treat your social media it's the same as networking it's just you can't see the person and you wouldn't walk up to somebody and say great to meet you shall we get married so why would you do that on on your social media always give value and that's the same with your, your blog It's the same with your Facebook Live content. And then the great thing about Facebook Live is then you can take that away and it opens a door to possibilities. So you can edit it down into short form content, which you can then put on Instagram, Snapchat, Instagram stories. You could put it back onto Facebook again. You could put it onto Twitter. You could break that down into memes because you've got your bullet points that you've broken down into resonating points. Well, memes are photographs with resonating quotes on them. So why not use your resonating quotes rather than Einstein's? Because you're the one who's trying to build a brand. He's already got his. To so do that. You can take the audio off and create a podcast, which is something I suggest everybody in this room is doing right now. Because the one thing you all start a business for is to give yourself more time to do the things that you enjoy doing, whether it be with your family, with your kids, go out playing golf, doing sport, whatever it is. You don't want to give yourself more time to go and spend more time with your business. You want to do it doing the things that you're passionate about. And podcasts do this because not everybody wants to sit and read a blog. Not everybody wants to watch a 10-minute Facebook Live. Not everybody wants to watch a one-minute video. Not everybody wants to look at memes. Not everybody wants to listen to audio. But if you remove the friction of all those different things, then there's a chance that you're going to get somebody to digest your content. And audio is a really great way of doing that because they can listen to you in the bath, in the car with the kids, as long as you're not effing and jeffing like I do. Um, you, can, you can listen to it in bed and fall asleep to my dulcet tones. You can, you can do anything you want with a podcast. You could be mowing the lawn and still learning, which is great. So really, if you're going to take anything from this, is do the blog and do a podcast on your blog. I'd really like you to start doing Facebook Lives as well because what you're trying to do, like I say, is remove the friction from not doing these pieces of content because there's so many different places you need to be thinking about posting your content. But also think about what content you're posting where. Don't just, again, scattergun everything that you've got. If you've got a piece of content that's definitely more female friendly, think about putting it on Pinterest rather than Instagram. And if you've got something that's more male friendly, vice versa because you need to understand the audiences that are in different places so understand your audience as well is, is really important and um, one of the things i tell to most people if they don't have the time or the money to spend on helping somebody some to help them create this content is find the three places where your audience definitely are one of them will be facebook whether you like it or not and find out when they're on those particular platforms and talk to them at those times so don't try and scattergun everything all over the day. If your audience is on LinkedIn at four o'clock in the afternoon, what is the point of talking to them at 8.30 in the morning? There is no point, because they're not there. So find out where they are, when they're on, and try and talk to them that way. Um, that's pretty much it, really, I think. And there's not a lot else, hopefully, I can, I can tell you. Um, but just remember, if your content isn't working for you, it probably is your fault. And uh, you, you can make it work for you. You just have to... Think about it a little bit more strategically. Um, it's not a science by any stretch of the imagination, and you can do all this stuff for free, which is the most important thing, and my favourite four-letter word, although you probably wouldn't tell from some of the ones I've said this morning. <laughs> any questions? Absolutely great, Simon. <clears throat> right at the very beginning, you described something which was your fault, which was life-changing. Yes. Your dreams were totally shattered by like something that was your fault. How did you come to Um, I probably still didn't, Um, so I I stepped away from athletics for quite a long time, and I came back to it just before 2012, so I think it was 2010, and I got exceptionally fat, Um, believe it or not I was 146 kilos um, in in weight, so yeah, I'd I'd not done any exercise, I'd been drinking um, fizzy drinks every single day. I'd been eating chocolate all the time. I'd, I'd been eating Haribo. Like I say, I was 145 kilos in weight. Wow. And I decided, when I was walking up the stairs one day and I was sweating my ass off walking upstairs and I sat down to watch the TV and it was a World Ch- Athletics Championship were on the TV and there was people I used to compete against in the competition. I was like, what the fuck am I doing to myself? I'm dying walking up the stairs and they're still... And this is stupid. And so I decided to take a step away from myself got rid of all the sugar and everything else like that within two weeks I'd lost two and a half stone just by cutting up I was drinking a lot of fizzy drink don't get me wrong but um, I'd cut, I'd lost two and a half stone in two weeks and then right now I'm down to like 90 90 kilos but from the the, the olympic side of things it, I, I probably never ever got over that because even when I came back to athletics I was still very much actually you know what if I put the effort in I might still make 2012 what kind of idiot am I, but (laughs) I I still thought I would put the effort in, so I was training two or three times a day again, I was doing my weight sessions, my running sessions, I was doing my technique sessions, and I I still did a decathlon, um, and I finished second in the county, but yeah, I was in bits after it, so I never really got over it, never really got over it, it's one of those psychological things that will always stay with you, just like my dad dying, it'll always stay with me, I'm going through grief counselling at the moment, which I'm very happy to talk about, um, but it's something that will stay with me forever um, because he was a big part of my life, as, as was athletics. Yes? Um, stupid question, Ty. Come on, uh, you, you mentioned it a couple of times. Means, what's a meme? It's a photograph with a resonating point on it, so you will have seen them, um, they're normally quotes from really famous people so it's normally things like uh, Einstein's quote of uh, the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result and, and all those kind of stuff so basically when you write your blog you'll have these different resonating points that you can just take away and put onto a photograph either of yourself or sure. of a coffin right. so, <laughs> yes. so it, it's just it's, it's looking for something that's really going to resonate with people an image that's going to go with that and then actually tying those two together. I mean, you can do all sorts of stuff with social media. You can do cinemagraphs, 3D GIFs, memes, all sorts. But what I, wanted to, what I want people to do is just start thinking about, I'm trying to build a brand, so what's the basics that I can do that are going to cost me nothing? There's lots of stuff you can do if you've got the money to spend. Like I say, I've worked with um, agencies on brands with like Walkers and Mountain Dew and Pepsi. and And so we've worked with some big brands doing some really complex bits and pieces, which aren't that complex, but they look great and they're interesting items, but not everybody's got 15, 20, 30, 40 grand to spend on a campaign. Why would you? So yeah, it's easier to think about what can you do for free, especially as a small business. Why, why should you be paying for this stuff? I, don't, I just don't understand these businesses who are like, oh yeah, you should come to my workshop or do this or do it. No, it's public knowledge. Just do it for free. Everybody knows how to write, and, that, and everybody knows how to speak. So <laughs> if you can do those two things, you're sorted. As long as you, uh, you do the right order, because you can break down all those boundaries of I'm terrified of standing in front of a camera by being prepared. Thank you very, very much. Thanks ever so much for listening. Bit of a longer one today. Well, quite a lot longer one anyway. Uh, But I hope you enjoyed it and uh, got some value out of my talk. And uh, I will catch you again tomorrow. Thanks ever so much for listening. This podcast has been a Perception Studios UK production.